We're in week four of our series, Missions Go Into All the World. And I just want to give you first a quick report from our friend Steve Stork, who we talked with in week one. Steve was able to get to Haiti, and he shared with me earlier this week that it was kind of crazy. He said he wasn't planning on being there during the presidential funeral. His, uh, the president's funeral service was two miles from where he was staying. Friday, he, they didn't go anywhere, but then everything else went really well, smoothly, he says. Lots of good training. They had 19 volunteers who were Pauls. Remember, he talked about the Paul and Timothy initiative, who ended up training 160 Timothys. That's just so encouraging. And out of that good work, as they shared the gospel, there were some 324 salvations and even 49 baptisms. And so he said it was a good trip. And so that's just so encouraging. And again, we're looking at this idea of what does it mean to go into all the world? Now, you know, then we talked to Jeff Fernandez in week two about Cuba. And last week we took a turn and and looked at this new book that's coming out because I think as we move into this new season for the church, both, you know, the local church for Linden Road and, and for the church universal, what God's going to require out of us is going to be new and different, and we need to be equipped for that. That equipping last week was to understand that all of us together, young and old, uh, there are these questions that that are, we're all asking. Our friend Kara Powell and Brad Griffith, had, the book was released this week to much accolades and lots of conversation that I've seen on the interwebs. The title of the book is Three Questions That Change Every Teenager, and you'll remember last week as we looked at, unpacked it, it was... The idea of who am I, the uh, second idea is where do I belong uh, or fit in, and then the third was really what is my purpose, where can I make a difference. And together, the church is the one that gets to do that, and as we celebrated last week, even the good work that was done on Saturday night by our team as we served at St. Luke's. This week, I I want to continue to lean into it. I I still have a couple more conversations. I want to just talk about the mission that we need to be united around. Uh, and to do that, let me set it up this way. One of my favorite movies is Avengers Endgame. It came out a number of years ago. It was the climax to uh, 10, 11 years of the Marvel Universe, I believe Phase 3. And to set it up, and unfortunately due to copyright restrictions, I can't share the clip. But there is a link to it here in our worship notes. Let me try to uh, set it up for you. Uh, so the, Thanos, who is the bad guy, he's, he comes back from the past and he follows the Avengers back uh, from the, all their time-traveling shenanigans that they do in Endgame with the Infinity Stones. And he lays waste to the place that they've been working out of, the home base. And, and half of the Avengers are in the rubble. They're trapped underneath uh, the fallen building. And so Steve Rogers, Captain America, he gets into a fight with Thanos and he just, uh, it's just, it's it's just a hard fight. Captain America is just knocked to the ground time and time again. But yet Captain America keeps coming back just the way he is, uh, the hero that he represents. And and we know that, that he's dedicated to really making a difference. Now, even though he's the super soldier and all that, uh, he's exhausted in this scene. He's wounded, you know, he's covered in dirt and blood, and his, his, even his shield is, is broken. Uh, and yet he still gets back up, knowing that this is probably his, his last stand, and that's his job. And he means to do it till the bitter end. And at that moment, he hears the three greatest words in the English language. 
I can remember watching this in the theater for the first time. At this particular scene, in that moment, in a subdued voice, Captain America hears, on your left. And then what happens, and in a theater, it, people erupted with applause and with shouts. It was like being at a football game. Uh, it was incredible. And, and then as the scene plays, and here's a picture of it, dozens of, of portals, if you will, all over the landscape open up. And all the heroes who had been lost in the, the, the movie before step out of these portals. And so then this great battle erupts and the real party begins, if you will. And Thanos, the, the main villain here, he's about to, to meet his, his demise. It actually gives me chills to think about it. I mean, the, these heroes, and if you followed the storyline at all, the thing that has been so unique about the Marvel Universe is there's a lot of disunity amongst them. There's a lot of differences that these various superheroes had. And yet, in this one moment, they're united around a common purpose. And it's in their unity that they have, have a shared mission. And so, a spoiler alert, that they actually succeed, and it's because of that idea of unity. Now, let's take a look at what Scripture says. And in Romans, Paul talked about chapter 15. He pulls together a message, basically the core idea of his message, to these Christians that were in Rome. And basically, he drives home this point by focusing on two ideas. And those two ideas are simply this, unity and mission. And so those are the two major themes, if you will, of the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. He says, accept each other. And I'm wondering, why did Christians need to be told this? Things, they weren't simple in Rome. You have a faction, the Jewish Christians. They were men and women who were ethnically Jews, who had converted to Christianity. They saw themselves as the leaders in the faith. And from their perspective, Christianity was the fulfillment of all that their faith was about from the people that they had followed for centuries. And on this point, they were right. The trap that some of them fell into was believing that they were therefore the better believers and the natural leaders of the church. Then on the other hand, you have the Gentile Christians. They were men and women who were not ethnically Jewish and had converted to Christianity. They felt some frustration over the being treated this way, and essentially it resulted in them being treated as second-class Christians. And if there was a difference of opinion, the Jewish Christians treated them as though they were automatically wrong. And so it's interesting, throughout Paul's writings and throughout the book of Romans, Paul had been confronting this tension, which is why Paul opened with the, this word of, of the scripture we just read with the word therefore. Because you see, that means that this is the culmination of what went before, what he's already said. And so what does he say? Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. And then he reminded them again that Christ came to both the Jews and the Gentiles. In verse 13, Paul continues his thought. He says here, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with a confident hope to the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we accept each other? 
How do we find unity in our diversity? Thankfully, our source for that ability isn't ourselves. It's God. He's the source of our hope. He's the source of our joy. He's the source of our peace. It's through him we're able to be filled with hope and joy. And as our hearts are transformed and, and they're transformed more and more to become like Jesus, we become people who overflow with hope and joy. And the natural response to that is peace in our spirits. So let me ask you this. When you're sitting in your car and you see that person next to you explode in anger because they didn't get through the light on time, was it really about the light? Or when someone rips into the person working the register at a store over the mask policy, are they really angry with that individual? See, the anger is coming from something else, isn't it? It's anger which gets backed up, pent up, to the point of overflowing on anyone in their path. Now, what do I mean by overflow? Well, when a cup is filled to overflowing, it overflows what is inside it. Uh, we're the same way. If we were filled with hope, joy, and peace, that's what we will overflow with. If we allow God's peace to fill me in the midst of all this chaos, this sinful world, in the midst of this, this, the disagreements and the debates and the politics, I will overflow hope, joy, and peace. That's how we build unity. Even as a Christian, unity doesn't come naturally for us. And so as we think about this series and why this matters, as we go into all the world, whether we're talking about talking with our teenagers or we're talking about getting on an airplane and flying to a third world country or we're talking about just going to downtown Mansfield and serving, there is a unity and a spirit of unity that we're working towards accomplishing. Now, here's what's interesting because it doesn't come naturally for us. There's approximately 41,000 different Christian denominations and organizations in the world today. I mean, that's, that's incredible when you think about it. Now, can you believe that when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, there was only one? And we'll find it easier to split when we disagree than to find unity and diversity, right? I don't like that person's teaching, or I don't like the person next to me, or the music isn't that great, or I have drama with so-and-so. I'm going to find another church or another youth group or another experience. You see, throughout the book of Romans, Paul challenges these Jewish and Gentile Christians to pursue unity, to be together, even at the cost of personal freedom at times. Paul's message wasn't to find the church that lines up to the closest with what the individual wanted. It was to sacrifice for the sake of the other's faith. And so I want to skip ahead here for a moment to in Romans 15. Paul gives us a very practical way for the early believers to choose unity. He says here in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 through 27, Paul says, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the Jewish believers there. For you see the believers, they were Gentiles, in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a debt to them since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessings of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least they can do in return is to help them financially. Now, at, at first glance, this seems like a, a, a nice kind action, right? A nice gesture. These Gentile believers have resources they're able to share with the Jewish believers who are struggling. And we practice that here. We send gifts to other ministries and other churches without even thinking twice about it. You know, God tells us to give to those in need. 
But Paul reinforced something here that he had been saying throughout the letter to the Romans. There are no second-class Christians. We're all one body. In, in, in this culture, some 2,000 years ago, accepting a gift carried with it symbolic weight. Uh, Dr. Paul Ackmeyer, who in his commentary on the book of Romans says, the gift is therefore a gesture of unity and equality. Accepting the gift is therefore tacit admission by the Jewish Christians that Jews and Gentiles now stand on equal footing with respect to each other. Paul was driving home once again what he wrote to the church in Galatia. He says here in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. You see, it's in Jesus, it's in Christ Jesus that all the ways we classify ourselves are gone. There's just one thing that matters. Uh, we are one in him. It's this idea of unity. Now, why is this issue so important? Why do we need to understand that? Why is it worth sacrificing personal freedoms and preferences for unity? Well, it's real simple. Unity reflects a higher perspective. It's a greater confidence. It enables believers to both see and pursue the mission that we've been called to. Pastor Tim Keller writes, Gospel unity within the church and gospel mission to the world, these are the two of the great themes of Romans and two of the great passions of Paul's ministry. Now, the gospel mission to the world was Paul's driving message. The fruit of unity is the mission. We are called to live with a purpose, to live on mission. And one of the greatest distractions from that mission is disunity. In Romans 15, Paul sums up his calling, all calling we each share. Paul says in Romans 15, 14 through 20, I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well, you can teach each other all about them. Even so, I have been bold enough to write about some of these points knowing that all you need is this reminder. I love Paul's encouraging words here. Yes, he had to call them out on these areas that they needed to grow in, but he was convinced that they were full of goodness. So Paul was, was confident that they were headed in the right direction of what he, he challenged them to, just as I'm confident that you are headed in the direction we are called to. We just have some things we, we still need to work on together, right? Paul goes on to say, For by God's grace I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. Again, Paul emphasizes that this does not happen under our own power. Even the Apostle Paul, author of so much of the New Testament, he was the missionary who took the gospel to the Gentile world. Even he was only able to do so by God's grace. He was only able to do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's so easy to be overwhelmed at times by the task that we're called to reach the world to be God's representative to those around us. As we've read our prayer for missions, right? It's the Great Commission, and yet there is much to that that can weigh us down. Now, there was a book that came out in, back in the 80s entitled, what to do when your mom or dad says, clean your room. And in that book, it, it, it talks about basically starting with small victories. It told the reader to first make the bed and then pile everything on the bed and finally start in one corner of the room and clean. 
it meant that the room felt clean right away. It meant the room was clean right away, which would then give a sense that there's some progress happening. It also made it less overwhelming, I'm sure, to put away everything that had been dumped on the bed. So what's the connection with cleaning your room and, and this? Well, Paul says that we are special messengers from Christ Jesus to the world. But instead of thinking about the entire world, or the, the room, if you will, uh, how do you start? Well, you start in your corner. You're going to have a sense here, since we've come back to in-person worship, as we've been walking through these series, How to Bless Our Neighbor, looking at the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and now with our missions go to all the world, you know, how do you do that? You'll remember back when we looked at the word bless, you begin first with prayer, right? You, you start in, in the corner. It's something simple. Who, who are the two or three people that you know that you wish were connected to the local church? And then you begin praying for them daily. And you ask God to work in their hearts. And then you ask God to give you wisdom. And then you ask God to give you an opportunity to share with them what you believe. And, and do you want to hear a surprising statistic? 82% of those that are not connected to a local church say that they are at least somewhat likely to attend a church at any point if they're invited by a friend. So Paul goes on to say in verse 17 here, So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me and my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message, and by the way, I worked among them, they were convinced by the power of the miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. It's not about us striving to, to figure out how to make it all happen. It's about us trusting the Holy Spirit to do the work in someone's heart. But we get to be there for it. That's the cool thing. We get to be part of how God accomplishes his mission. Is there nothing greater to be enthusiastic? It's an incredible gift to be present and witness God's transforming work happening in someone's heart and life. Even last week, as we talked about the third aspect of the questions that young people are asking, what's my purpose? And we're reminded that there's a story that God's writing, and if we're faithful to lean into what he'll do, he's going to work in and through us. Paul goes on to say, what? I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Lyceum. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. You see, and this is the thing you need to sit on for a moment, is that he says, I am a messenger, and my ambition has always been to preach the good news. Now, I love the language that Paul uses in this passage. This is a man who understood what was most important. God's mission to restore creation to himself, to see his children brought back to him. And we are called to that same mission, to see the world around us with God's eyes and with his purpose. C.S. Lewis, the great author, once said in a sermon, There is no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and even exploit, immortal horrors of everlasting splendors. That's a pretty heavy understanding, right? See, C.S. Lewis is saying that we are surrounded by people 
who were immortal. And it's those immortals that God wants to restore to himself. Because you've got to be reminded that this world is preparation for the life to come. And it, that it's far more important than the mortal things that we allow to distract us and, and take us away from what God desires for us. So it's really this simple. And let me just wrap up with this idea. It's about we need to pursue unity. We need to live with purpose and that you need to start in your corner. So this is what we're called to do. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower. Again, last week, the idea that understanding uh, who we are in Christ and that Jesus makes us enough. And the idea that it's this faith uh, community that we're a part of, not just Linden Road, but it's actually, it's the larger capital C church that we get to play a part in. And hence the conversations we're having with individuals like Steve Storkel and what's going on in Haiti, or Jeff Fernandez of what's going on in Cuba, and the others we'll be talking to in the weeks ahead. You see, it's this invitation that we get to be a part of, but it starts in our corner. So let's pray. 